Good morning, Centerway Church. I'm Claude. My wife, Meredith, and I are the lead pastors of this wonderful church. We hope you had a special Christmas weekend, and we're so thankful to be gathering with you online this morning. I'm going to talk through some information to get us started today, but first, we want to welcome those of you gathered with us on the Sunday morning live platform, as well as those watching or listening later on in the week. We're so glad you're choosing to be with us. I want to take a moment to welcome any guests here for the first time. We know that there are some challenges to visiting us, if you will, online, uh, but we trust that you still get a sense of who we are and feel at home here. In the interest of making your first visit a little easier, I'm going to talk through some information that we trust will help you and everyone else know a little bit about what to expect today. If you're gathered live on Sunday morning, uh, the tabs on the online platform can be helpful for you. You can share your information with us, give, take next steps, find previous messages, and even share this message if you'd like. You can also ask questions or request prayer uh, on the live platform, and one of our uh, hosts will actually answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening to this message later, uh, you can do those things still just through our website. If there's any way that we can serve you, if you can answer, if we can answer any questions, if you have feedback, ideas, or need prayer throughout the week, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Our website also has some information and resources to help you, and uh, there are opportunities for you to grow no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Things like devotionals that uh, you can subscribe to and ways to even be reminded of the weekly application question. If you have kids, there's a, there's a message just for them. They learn from the same scripture text that actually uh, you and I do, which makes for great discussion and a chance to grow as a family. There are two main places on our website to find those, um, as well as other resources. Um, you can go to the messages page or you can go to the next steps page. Now here's what to expect today. Elise, uh, one of our Centerway students, will be reading the scripture text for us. Then Eric will be communicating from the Bible. And you'll hear some ways following that to respond in worship. Uh, immediately after the message, you can join us actually live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now, here's Elise with the text for today. Hi, I'm Elise Vildas. I'm a Centerway student, and today we will be reading Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them.
Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Eric, and I am super excited to be with you today, working through the final week of our Disrupted series, uh, and uh, also going through the final week of 2020. Uh, today's message is entitled Disrupted Familiarity. Disrupted Familiarity. <laughs> that can be hard to say. Uh, I imagine that some of you are really looking forward to turning the calendar page to 2021. Uh, it's no secret that there's been uh, difficulty uh, in this this year. Uh, but in all honesty, I kind of had a pretty great year. You know, I bought a house, my first house. Um, we had a baby, pretty exciting. And um, I've been trying to keep a positive perspective. Um, and quite honestly, this series has been so critical uh, in my own journey because we've learned through the, the last few weeks here that uh, it's okay to be disrupted in our lives, that God can use the disruptions of our lives for his glory. And that's been a great perspective change for me. I don't know if you needed it, but I know that I have. Uh, it's funny the things that people complain about having lost this year. Uh, it seems like those things are the very same things that a year ago they were complaining about having. <laughs> Talk about perspective change here. Um, one of those things is your job. 2019, my job stinks. In 2020, I can't believe that I don't have my job. Or maybe it's school. School is the worst, you said last year. And in 2020, you say something like, I can't believe that we can't do school the way that we normally do. <laughs> Ugh, in 2019, we are always on the go. I would kill for a day just to kind of sit around and have nothing to do. And then in 2020, you say something like, ah, I can't believe that nothing is open and there's no place to go. <laughs> Isn't it funny that there's never a shortage on things to complain about? We can always find something to complain about. A year ago, all the familiar everyday experiences of our lives were kind of taken for granted. And now, we're longing to have those kind of mundane, everyday things back. Uh, we can also see this phenomenon happen uh, right after Christmas when you go back and look at your Christmas list. Uh, the Christmas gifts that we wanted, now I hope that you got everything that you wanted uh, for Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that. But even if you did, I bet that you can uh, look at the gifts that you got and suddenly, even now, just a few days later, not have the same feeling you had when you first opened up that gift. And I guarantee that a year from now, you're going to look at that toy, that game, uh, that home furnishing, whatever it would be, and it's not really going to give you the same emotion as it did the day that you opened up that present. In 1988, I wanted a Hotlicks. Tyco made it. If you don't know what a Hotlix is, it's worth the Google. Uh, basically, it was this electric guitar, um, but for kids. So there weren't any of those like messy strings you had to like worry about or, you know, having to worry about where the fingers went on the guitar neck. Uh, it just was an electric guitar with a whole bunch of buttons and every button that you pushed had a different sound. I was about 10 years old and I remember thinking that if I got myself a Hotlix, that I would be unstoppable. I would be the coolest kid in the school. Uh, it wasn't just a guitar for me. Uh, it was kind of a tryout for the band Striper. So I knew like as soon as uh, the band Striper heard me on my hot licks, I'd be able to join the band. Now, if you know the band Striper, please don't judge me. And if you don't know the band Striper, please don't Google it. <laughs> uh, but I will never forget what happened. You know, uh, the guitar came in this guitar shaped box 
and um, that Christmas, there were no guitar-shaped boxes under the tree. Um, I opened up my gifts, and they were great gifts for sure. Uh, you know, what gift isn't cool, you know, when you're 10, maybe underwear or something. Um, but I went through all my boxes, there was none left, and then my parents brought out the guitar-shaped box. And even though I had to unopen open it up, I knew exactly what it was. And man, the rest of the day, I was rocking and rolling. You know, it was, it was incredible. The problem was, a week later, I was playing it, but not as much as I thought I was going to. A month later, eh, maybe I would take a look at it as I put it in the corner. And then by the following Christmas, it was in the back of my closet kind of somewhere, you know? Uh, that thing that I desperately wanted so bad uh, just kind of became uh, a regular, ordinary kind of gift <laughs> for me. Um, you probably know uh, that experience. Maybe it was a hot licks. Maybe you're as cool as I am. Uh, maybe it was something different. Maybe it wasn't even a gift. Maybe it was just a wish uh, that you would hope for your life. And then once that thing did happen, you were like, huh, it's not exactly the way I thought it was going to be. I want to start off our time uh, today with a question that goes like this. Why does the familiar get minimized? I'm going to say it again so that we can think through this. Why does the familiar get minimized? And I think it's because the familiar eventually becomes the ordinary for us. And we're looking for extraordinary. You know, the veneer of the unfamiliar of the unfamiliar kind of comes off pretty quickly and we're left with just an ordinary gift that we opened up or an ordinary experience with our lives. That thing that we so desperately wanted becomes familiar, and when it's familiar, it becomes ordinary. And boy, we were not destined for ordinary, were we? We were destined for extraordinary. So we fill our days with trying to find things that would make us extraordinary, things that would be extraordinary, and so the familiar tends to get minimized. You know, sometimes it can be uh, something even as, as dear to us as family. We start off infatuated with a person. When you're dating somebody, let's say, let's use the example of their humor. Uh, you know, they're the funniest person in the world. They can, uh, you know, crack jokes and we laugh and we laugh. And over time, their jokes get familiar. Uh, their sense of humor gets familiar. And it's not as funny <laughs> as it used to be. You know, sometimes it's our job. We land our dream job and we're so excited to wake up for work and, and we're there early and we stay there late. Eventually, however, uh, we begin dreading showing up for that job and we begin to daydream about if we could just do something else. The familiar gets minimized. You know, whether it's home, career, school, family, friends, a hot licks, whatever it would be, uh, we minimize the familiar because it just feels ordinary. And that's the scenario uh, that we find Jesus and his disciples in as we approach our text for today. We've already heard it, but let's read a portion of it again. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Hmm. 
Okay, so what on earth is going on here in this text? At first glance, it kind of seems like the people in Jesus' hometown are kind of minimizing the familiar. It looks like they see Jesus and they say something like, Oh, cute little Jesus, all grown up. Look at him. I know his family. I used to babysit for him and his crazy brothers and sisters, you know? Uh, but what's interesting is that verse 3 in the text doesn't say that they just minimized Jesus. It says that they took offense at Jesus. Now, why? Now, if we look at verse 2, it says that they were astonished at his wisdom and at the mighty works he did with his own hands. So if that's the case, then why immediately take offense at him? Well, they took offense at him because people want the qualities that came from him to come from an extraordinary person, and his hometown knew Jesus as just this ordinary kid that grew up on their streets. The Savior of the world is supposed to be extraordinary. He's supposed to be unbelievably uh, distant from us, not just an ordinary guy that grew up in our hometown. Notice how his hometown crowd described Jesus. He's the carpenter, right? He comes from this low-income, lower-class occupation. He's nothing special. Now, they also identify him with his mother, Mary. They don't say anything about his father. Typical identifying lineage would have him being traced through his paternal line. So most commentators think that this is kind of a hometown dig at the fact that Jesus was born out of wedlock. So here's a low-income kid who was born out of wedlock. He, there's no way that he could be the Messiah. There's no way that he could be doing the miracles that we see him do. And they took offense at him. They weren't just minimizing him. They were offended by him. Now, the Greek word uh, for offended in verse 3 is uh, the word escandalizanto. <laughs> escandalizanto. And you can probably see the word scandal in there. Uh, they found Jesus to be scandalous. That he wasn't just uh, unbelievable because he was so ordinary. No, he was duping them somehow. He was tricking them somehow. He, this, this man, there was something offensive about Jesus. Why? Because he was ordinary. Now, the interesting thing is that they weren't offended by Jesus' message. They said he, was, they had, he had an amazing message. They weren't offended by his actions. They admit that he was working miracles. They were offended by Jesus' ordinariness, the ordinariness of his life. And you know what? Our culture today is offended by that too. We just celebrated Christmas and we celebrated the truth that the extraordinary King of Kings and Lord of Lords came to this earth to be in a barn uh, and be placed in a manger next to farm animals. Now, our culture has no problem with singing about that as a cute little story, as part of the Christmas narrative that is probably fictitious in their eyes. Uh, but as soon as you say that that baby that was born that night in the backwater of the Roman world is the only way to God, all of a sudden we're offended. No, that, that can't be. He can't be the only way to God. It's funny how many people in our world have no problem with Jesus as teacher, like the hometown crowd did, or miracle worker, like his home crowd, uh, town, uh, hometown crowd did. Excuse me. Uh, the very thing that his neighbors were amazed by, people don't have any offense to, but the I am the way claim, 
Now that's offensive. That's too much to handle. Because if there's going to be one way to God, well, it's got to be something extraordinary. Can't be this guy in a corner of the world, born in a manger from a regular hometown. He can't be the way to the Father. Now, here's the deal. We all want a personal relationship with Jesus. We want a personal relationship with Jesus. We want Jesus to be our friend. We want him to be close with us. We want a Jesus who will tell us what we want to hear and love us unconditionally. We even have some verses that we can kind of manipulate out of context so that Jesus um, is our buddy who will never say no to us and will allow us to live our life any way that we want to. It's an unoffensive Jesus. But the problem is, that we love the parts of Scripture where Jesus forgives and covers our sin, but we take offense to the parts of Scripture that say that Jesus is the way. He's the only way. That in order to approach the Father, we need to come through Jesus the Son. And here's the deal. You can't have a personal relationship with someone who isn't allowed to challenge you or who isn't allowed to offend you or contradict you at points. Now, let's say... Uh, you're, you're just going through life and you meet somebody uh, that you like and who likes the same things that you do. Over the course of time, you develop a dating relationship with them and you kind of even think that you're falling in love with them. But you never allow that person to disagree with you. In fact, when they do disagree with you, you belittle them and you threaten to walk away from the relationship uh, unless they see things your way. Now, I'm here to tell you that would not be a relationship. You wouldn't have a personal relationship with them. You would have a a slave driver relationship. You would have a robot relationship, but you wouldn't have a personal relationship because your closest friends, the people that are uh, so most intimately connected to you are people that are allowed to offend you, to speak truth into your life, whether you like to hear it or not. Not because you don't have a relationship with them because they say yes every time you want them to and say no every time you want them to. Uh, They'll only do the things that you want. No. You have relationships that are messy, that uh, you don't see eye to eye at times. The people that are allowed to offend you or allowed to clash with you. This is what Jesus is asking for. He's asking for a personal relationship with you so that he can lead you, guide you. Yes, so he can love you so that uh, you can know the Father heart of God. But in so doing, there's going to be moments of your life where he's going to contradict you and contradict your desires. He is going to offend you at some point because the very nature of the sin sickness that we all carry is always going to vie for that position of Lord in your life. And Jesus says, I love you too much to let that sin be the Lord of your life. I want to be the Lord of your life. We live in a fallen condition, and as a result, our natural desires for uh, God's rightful place in our life are going to clash with where Jesus wants to be. Now, here's Jesus' response to those who let his familiarity kind of get in the way of their experience. We see it in verses 4, 5, and 6. It says this, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. 
and he went about among the villages teaching. Now, I love that Jesus marvels at their unbelief just like they marveled at what he did, and yet still refused to believe. The picture becomes fuller when we see that Jesus' power was limited because of their unbelief. In other words, they considered him just too ordinary to be used by God, and their unbelief kept them from seeing the extraordinary change uh, that could have come to their life. You know, it's wild to think that the mission of Jesus wasn't welcome there, even though they recognized how incredible his teachings and his miracles were. And I could point the finger at Jesus' hometown in Nazareth, and I could say, ha they didn't get it. But I'm concerned that there are moments in my life when I do the same thing. When I take for granted the wonder of what God is up to in my own world and in my own life, You know, I experience the extraordinary every single day of my life. I have an incredible family that loves me unconditionally. I have friends who will go to bat for me, will take the shirt off their back for me. Uh, I have breath in my lungs. My heart is beating right now. These things are scientific and relationship miracles, and yet I take them for granted each and every day. Much like Christmas gifts, that bring excitement at first, and then the familiarity kind of causes them, uh, the excitement of them to diminish over time. I've been blessed by God in incredible ways. He's done extraordinary things in my life. And the very miracles that I prayed for at one time, they get minimized to the point where they're just ordinary in my pursuit of the extraordinary. Here's what this time of year means. Whether you're focused on Christmas or the new year, we get to prepare and look ahead toward uh, what God is up to in the brand new year. I want you to understand this principle. I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to read it. It says, The extraordinary became ordinary so that the ordinary could become extraordinary. I'll say it again. The extraordinary became ordinary so that the ordinary could become extraordinary. Now, Jesus left his throne at the right hand of the Father to occupy a manger in order that the ordinary people like you and like me could forever live in the kingdom of God. The extraordinariness of uh, the kingdom of God in heaven came to the ordinary earth so that ordinary people like you and me could experience the extraordinary gifts that God would give. Now, if that gospel truth doesn't consistently drive me to amazement that I have something that I need to repent of. Because that's an extraordinary idea, an unbelievable idea. And I know that this seems counterintuitive, but the antidote to to, uh, overcoming the familiar in your life is to fix your eyes on Jesus. So if Jesus is just too ordinary, uh, just too familiar in your life, the antidote to that is by staring into his beautiful face, just fixing your gaze on him and studying what he is like in the word and in the spirit. In fact, we risk becoming offended or escandalizanto when we stop following Jesus and just become comfortable with our familiar generalized label of what Jesus is supposed to be. You know, one time we may have been amazed by the gift of the gospel, amazed by what Jesus has done for us. But over time, he's kind of been diminished to just a carpenter or just Mary's son or 
yeah, he's the guy that I worship on Sundays, you know, before I start my job. Or, uh, yeah, he's that guy that I recognize at Christmas time and, and at Easter and, you know, I pray to for my food every now and then. But he's not extraordinary in my eyes. He's not amazing in my life. And this is something that we as a community need to repent of. One of the most refreshing attributes of God in Scripture is that it says that his mercies are new every morning. Think about that. We have something to be amazed by every single time our feet hit the ground because his mercies are new every single morning. The final section of our text this morning kind of rounds out a pretty cool design pattern for this pericope, this passage of Scripture here. You'll notice that there are actually two sections of Scripture, and they're designed to go together. They might not seem like it at first, but bear with me. Uh, in the first, Jesus goes to his hometown, like we just read, and the crowds, they just can't get past the familiar. He can't perform many miracles there because they can't get past the familiar. Now see if you can notice the design pattern in the final part of our text, starting with verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, did you see how those two parts connected there? The disciples went to two different regions to execute their mission with two different results. Jesus sends out the disciples two by two in the second with nothing familiar, nothing to hold on to except the gospel. They don't know anybody there. They can't bring anything familiar, just enough to sustain them day by day. Now, there was nobody there that had a previous label for Jesus when the disciples were sent on mission. No one could kind of lean on the familiar. And as a result, they could see Jesus for who he really was. They could see this testimony of the disciples for what it really was. And instead of only doing a few miraculous works like we see in Nazareth, their mission of declaring repentance resulted in much fruit. It resulted uh, in many healings and uh, uh, many healings were accomplished there in Jesus' name and many demon-possessed people uh, were healed as a result. Now, you see the difference between effective mission and ineffective mission? It's a sense that we know that there's everything that there is to know about Jesus. The attitude that we know everything there is to know about Jesus, we don't need to know anything else, uh, that inevitably leaves us living life in a way that doesn't rely on a fresh move of God's Spirit. Where we do ministry, we do the work of the mission that God has given us in our lives uh, in a way that's kind of familiar, kind of every day. We don't need God to kind of do the things that we already know how to do. That's the familiar. When there's this unfamiliarity, when there's this sense of amazement and awe and wonder, uh, we rely on the Spirit of God in such a way that He moves, that we don't do the work, that he does the work. You know, we can get into this familiar routine with Jesus and we can forget the wonders of his love 
as we navigate through life. Now, don't get me wrong, routines are fine and they can, they can be great things, routines, but they can also lull us to sleep, can't they? We can kind of think that the, uh, the point of our routine is to check off the boxes, is to get through the routines so that we can do something else. But the truth of the matter is, is that each and every one of us uh, who have said yes to Jesus and are led by his spirit have been given a mission. We've been given a mission uh, that requires us to rely on the Spirit of God. And I know that there are many people out there that haven't said yes to Jesus. You're still skeptical about what the Bible would have to say about Jesus and who he really is. And I'm going to address that in just a moment. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you follow Jesus, uh, I would challenge you that maybe, just maybe, your relationship with Jesus has become really familiar. And that has led to it just kind of being ordinary. That Jesus himself isn't ordinary, but your kind of idea of who he is or what he can do. And I would challenge you as we move into a brand new year here in the next few days uh, to have a renewed sense of awe and wonder at what Jesus wants to do in your life and even through your life. The, The ordinary can kind of undermine the mission that God has for us. Your calling isn't ordinary. God has uniquely equipped you to do something that nobody else can do, can live in such a way that nobody else can accomplish what you can through your one and only life. And I would challenge you not to rely on the uh, familiarity of your relationship with Jesus from long ago, but to allow it to be fresh and new and vibrant and active. The question that I would leave you with and and the application that I believe uh, the text requires of us today, it goes like this. How will I be on mission this week? How will I be on mission this week? This is a unique question because each and every one of us have a different answer to this because we live different lives. We can't just say, "Mm, read the Bible more, uh, pray more. That could be part of your answer this week, but you don't get the last week of the year, you don't get to get away with just a generic answer. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit to get specific with this question. Uh, I know that there may be, as I said before, those of you that have never said yes to Jesus. And so uh, you can maybe even rightly say, I get off scot-free. I don't have a mission. I don't have a mission with my life. My challenge to you would be, how do you see Jesus? Is he just this great teacher who does really incredible things? uh, Or is he the, the, the savior of the world? Because I, I, don't, I can't get into it too much at this point, but Jesus was murdered on a cross. He wasn't murdered on a cross because he was a good guy. He wasn't murdered on a cross because he was just this great teacher or he did some incredible things. <laughs> no, the, the historical, authentic Jesus was offensive. He was scandalous. Was it because uh, he claimed to be the savior of the world? Yes, it was. Uh, Was it because uh, he did something that nobody else could do? Yes, absolutely. But you have to reckon with that in your heart. He can't just be a great teacher or else he wouldn't have been murdered. (laughs) He can't just be this really good guy who did great things for good people. No, if he was just that and he claimed to be Messiah, then he would be the worst person uh, ever, uh, ever born because he would have led so many people, billions of people astray. Where do you stand on Jesus today? 
Since this is the final week of our Disrupted series, as well as 2020, it's kind of natural for us to kind of reflect on where we've been. And in this season, I cannot think of any better idea to reflect on and to take with us into 2021 than making sure that Jesus is more than just a familiar idea or more than just a great teacher or a great miracle worker. He needs to be our Lord. He needs to be our Savior. He needs to be the one that calls us to a mission. The mission for your life must be driven by us lifting our eyes to Jesus and seeing how extraordinary he is through a fresh vision for our lives. I'm going to pray and then direct us toward what needs to happen after that. Uh, But would you just bow your heads and hearts with me as we surrender our lives to God today? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you, God, that your plan from the foundation of the world was to send your son, Jesus, to live a life that we can never live in perfection and die a death that we deserve because of our sin. Lord, forgive us for those moments where we've felt like the hometown crowd, where we've marginalized and labeled Jesus in such a way that he becomes less than extraordinary, less than amazing to us. I pray, Lord God, for a fresh vision of who Jesus is. Help us, Lord God, not to just rely on the familiar, Lord God, but to uh, even take bold and daring steps as we approach a brand new year, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us a word about what our mission is, maybe even for the very first time. And God, give us the grace, the strength, and the boldness, the courage, Lord God, to execute your plan for our lives so that the world around us can be changed and transformed. We thank you for that hope. We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I love that we get to spend time together, and we are so excited to launch into a brand new series uh, next year and start a brand new year together. Happy New Year, Centerway. Thanks so much, Eric. My name is Meredith, and I'm very grateful that we could be together on this last Sunday of 2020. Our worship response through song today will look a little bit different. And although we won't be going live on Facebook or Instagram, we did record a worship set, and you can find that posted on our Facebook page immediately after this online gathering ends. Now, these songs can give voice to the truths that we just heard from the Word, but we want to encourage you not to let your worship stop there. There are many ways to worship, and we encourage you to spend time applying the text this week. So whether you're with us live or watching or listening to the message later on in the week, feel free to worship with us on Facebook. And you can also find the songs on Spotify if you want to listen later in the week. Just search Centerway Church and look for our Disrupted playlist. We cannot wait to start a new series next Sunday, but until then, have an incredible week and Happy New Year.